Good morning, church. My name is Natasha, and I'm one of the pastors here at Knox, and it's my joy to be sharing with you today. I love lists. I love a good list. Sometimes when I'm starting a project, whether it's at work or at home, it's actually the lists that I'm excited for, not the project. So, you know, there's something nice about seeing everything laid out. And when I was a teenager, I, um, I had a hidden set of spreadsheets on my computer, and they were all lists that I thought I might need just in case. So one of them was first and second names of all my future children. I have not used a single one, but it was there just in case. Um, another list was people that I should get to know better. Um, and then another list was songs that would work well at a funeral if I ever need to plan a funeral. Why I had these lists, I don't know. Is this it's working? It's kind of, sorry. It's kind of falling off here. I might need to switch to this one, if that's okay. Um, for many of us, a list is something achievable. It's something concrete, something that we can check off item by item and feel like we've accomplished something. From a young age, I learned this list of the Ten Commandments. And there was kind of a childish hierarchy in my mind. Don't murder, I'm good at that one. Don't steal, so far so good. Don't commit adultery, yeah, as a child, not a big problem. I um, Also, taking the Lord's name in vain, I'm actually very good at that one as well. I grew up in a household where even saying the letters OMG in succession was completely forbidden. And so... I felt like this is one that I can preach on. I'm good at this one. This is great. So this is going to be a short sermon because I have figured this one out. If this is all God is requesting of me, to not use his name flippantly or in a swear word, I've got it. If that's all God is expecting of us, that is very achievable. Unfortunately for me, for many of us, I'm not sure that that's all that God is expecting of us in this commandment. Because God's name isn't simply a word. I think it's good to be thoughtful about the language that we use, and so I don't think it's bad to avoid using God's name in a casual way. But God's name is more than a name. It's the identity that God gives himself in Scripture. So in Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Later, God also says to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. In these verses, God uses the name Yahweh, the consonants Y-H-W-H, to signify and to give himself a sacred identity, not just any God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just any God, the God of the Israelites. When we see the word Lord in the Bible, Lord in all capitals, that's often the translation for this name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, because in English there isn't quite um, a literal translation for this, but Scholars believe it's referring back to the Hebrew verb to be, to exist. I am who I am. 
When God gives this name to himself, later in Exodus 4, he links the identity of Israel to his own. He says, Israel will be called my son. In the same way that a parent passes along their family name to their child, God passes along this family identity to his children. This begins with the nation of Israel, but it's true for us as well. When somebody is baptized in our church, we baptize them in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. People are brought into this identity that God gives his children. If you are part of the family of God, an adopted child of the King, you also have this identity. You bear the name of God in the world. You move through the world with this name. Here's what God says about you if you're carrying his name. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And in John's gospel, he highlights that to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is our identity. As a child of God, you carry the family name. You're a Christian, a Christ follower, a God child. So this third commandment isn't just about not using God's name as a swear word. It's about carrying the family name well, bearing the responsibility of this sacred identity. As Elaine read for us in the scripture reading today, for people in God's family, there's an expectation that whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you do it in the name of Christ Jesus. For those of us who grew up in more individualistic cultures, we might not resonate with the way that poor behavior can bring harm or dishonor to a family. I think that the church and cultures where family honor is prioritized, um, there's probably more of an innate understanding of what it means to carry the family name well. If all your actions circle back to your family and bring them honor or shame, it's easy to understand that in the family of God, all of our actions matter. I believe that's the heart of the commandment that God gives and God's trying to communicate to his people. As those who care his name, bring honor to the family. This is a sacred responsibility that we have. I don't know about you, but in the news recently, I've seen the harm that comes when people don't take this responsibility seriously and misuse the trust and authority that comes with the name of Jesus kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing type of thing. You look like one of the family. You look like somebody who can be trusted, and yet you're behaving in a way that's, that's shameful. Um, we've seen in the news Christians and Christian institutions who not only bring shame to the name that they bear, but cause devastating harm in the process. A couple weeks ago in Christianity Today, Russell Moore wrote, Sexual abuse in any context and by any institution is a grave atrocity. It's worse when this horror is committed or covered up by leveraging personal or institutional trust. But using the very name of Jesus to carry out such wickedness against those he loves and values is a special evil. When sexual abuse happens within a church, violence is added to violence. Sexual, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Predators know that this power is great, which is why they weaponize even the most beautiful concepts. Grace, forgiveness, Matthew 18, the life of David. 
We've read examples of this in the media, in our culture, recently and for many, many years, and it's not limited to one branch of the family of faith. This is something that we need to be cognizant of. Christians too often misuse the name of God to sweep their abuse under the rug. But it's not just the most horrible abuse that takes the name of Jesus in vain. It's the little things, too. If you have a fish sticker on the back of your car, you better be the best driver out there because you are bearing the name of God to the world and the way you drive says something about the family. If you have a Bible verse tattooed on the same arm that you use to steal from your employer, you are misusing the name of the Lord. If you worship God in church on Sunday morning and then troll people online on Sunday evening, you are taking the Lord's name in vain. If you have opted into this identity, your behavior needs to measure up. Of course, as as Nick mentioned in the confession, it doesn't. Our behavior doesn't measure up. In Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, For I have the desire to do good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. I want to bring honor to God's name in word and in deed, but so often I fall short. This is where the surface-level review of the commandments that I had as a child left me discouraged. I know these rules, but I also know that I'm going to break them. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. When I make a mistake, how do I make things right? How do I bring honor to the family name after messing up? When I fall short of this commandment, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God invites us into this family, but doesn't invite us alone. God promises to give us the comforter, the friend, the encourager. The Holy Spirit convicts us of what has gone wrong, and through the name of Jesus, I can approach God in confession and say, I need I need a new, new start. I need to try again. And this is why we have a rhythm of confession as a church body. And I hope each personally, because God gives us the opportunity to start again. God gives us these rules to live by, but also gives us a way towards restoration when we can't live by them. That said, all of these commandments are personal and communal. We can each try to live according to these words, and we should. We can repent and seek God's forgiveness when we make a mistake or when we sin, and we should. But we can also allow these words to shape the practice of faith in community. Church, we need to be a place where we can urge each other to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. We can create a space in which people can feel such a sense of belonging and familiarity, that is, being in the family, that they can carry his name well. We also need to have the kind of authentic relationships with each other where we can share accountability and responsibility with each other. I want to take a moment to highlight a ministry area that doesn't get a lot of time in the spotlight, but has a significant role in helping us become that type of community. The Leading with Care Committee is a group of wise 
and discerning individuals in our church who look at Knox's operations and policies and programs, and then they work to ensure that those are conducted in a way that keeps people safe. This team recognizes that we carry a sacred name and that it takes a lot of thought and care to make sure that we're holding people accountable for the way that they operate themselves within this church community. This includes things like reviewing our building. Are our spaces safe? Are there windows in the door so, and multiple level, levels of protection so that people can't carry out secret harm here? It inview, involves reviewing incident reports and understanding when things go wrong, how do we respond? How can we do better next time? I believe that the Leading with Care team is doing amazing, quiet, thoughtful work to make Knox a place that's worthy of the calling that we've received communally. We all have a responsibility in this, too, in keeping each other accountable as siblings in Christ. So this work happens through policies and programs, but it also happens through relationships where people can teach each other and learn from each other, admonish, correct each other, pray for each other. I'm grateful for each of you in this community who do that for me and give me the opportunity to do that for you. I want to highlight um, as well the ministry of camp. I had the privilege of being with our camp program this week in a few different capacities, and I got to see firsthand what happens here all summer, but many of you don't, and so I want to share a little bit about how the camp ministry helps us to do this well. For over 50 years, Knox has operated camps for kids in this neighborhood. Most weeks, we have 40 to 50 kids, youth, and leaders who spend the whole week learning from each other. For young leaders in the program, this is a chance to grow in their understanding of what it means to lead in the church in a healthy way. For kids, they get a whole week or more, sometimes seven weeks, to hear about God's love and to laugh and to pray and to build relationships with caring individuals. Every part of this passage from Colossians that we read earlier is brought to life at camp. Kids and leaders learn to clothe themselves with compassion. That's our theme for the summer. They learn about kindness and humility, gentleness and patience in real time. I found that my patience was being pushed to the brink this week. And there were moments where I thought, oh yeah, I'm growing, I'm learning. People learn what it means to forgive and be forgiven. There are so many opportunities to acknowledge that we don't always get it right and we need forgiveness. People experience a sense of unity towards a common purpose, a common purpose that blesses families in our neighborhood. Being members of one body together, for many at camp, that's a new experience, being in this kind of community. Learning to teach and admonish through crafts and ball hockey and trips to the park and worship and skits and lessons this is what it looks like to bear the name of God well at Harvard and Spadina this summer. I want to invite you to consider how you bear God's name in the world. Do people even know that you follow Christ? Is this an identity that you carry publicly at all? Does your behavior match one who carries a sacred identity? What kind of support are you getting from the body of Christ as you carry this name? How are you supporting, admonishing, and being unified with other believers in order to be accountable and to be encouraged? 
We're going to take a few minutes to reflect on these questions. And one thing that I'd invite you to do is to commit to some kind of practical step this week. If anything that I've said has stood out to you and made you think, I can do more of that, I want to encourage you to commit to yourself to do that. Maybe it's scheduling some time in your calendar to meet with God, to come in that posture of confession and make things right and ask for strength to carry the family name well. Maybe it's taking time to mentor a younger, younger believer or send a note of encouragement to someone on the Leading with Care team. Whatever it is, I encourage you to make a note in your phone so that you don't forget. But we're going to take a couple minutes to pray and reflect and come, come before God willing to carry his name well this week.